Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today we have a, a special friend of mine, someone that I know is going to be a, a source of inspiration to you. She's definitely a source of inspiration to me, and that is Dot Ryan. She is the founder, she's the president of Brand Talkers, and she's someone that uh, has exemplified the growth mindset and someone who is deeply interested in, in having a life that matters. Dot, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited to be doing this with you. So thank you. Well, I feel the same way. And so looking forward to a, a great discussion. Now you are leading Brand Talkers, which you started in 2011, and you're making a huge impact uh, through that. But I don't want to start there. What I'd like to do is to start our conversation today all the way back in Columbia, South Carolina. And that's where you called home for the first years of your life. And for those who aren't familiar with Columbia, uh, what's Columbia like when you're growing up there? Tell us about your hometown. Hot and humid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the capital of the state. And it's so funny because once I left South Carolina, I realized how geographically small South Carolina was compared to Texas and other places. But you know, it's just that good old American life. Had relatives upstate, downstate. So I spent a lot of time at beaches and spent a lot of time out in the country. Um, think sand and pine trees and super hot summers, but all four seasons and every now and then snow or something. But that's South Carolina. So you grew up in South Carolina with the access to uh, the beaches you had, um, obviously a great university there in town. You, you've got uh, military bases. You have all these things that are converging in on, on South Carolina. And you start off your life, but really it seems as if the uh, pretty soon, um, soon thereafter, after you were old enough to be able to go on an adventure, it seems like you, you moved on from South Carolina. Tell us about um, life uh, in, in high school and then uh, ultimately leading to um, le leaving the state and moving on to other places? Okay, so, you know, none of my stories are short, so I'm going to do everything I possibly can to contain all this. So, grew up in Columbia, one of five kids, the youngest of four girls, and then had a brother seven years after me, uh, very traditional household, Presbyterian church upbringing, both my parents worked, was like one of the early latchkey kids before anybody knew what that meant. Grew up, you know, we're talking like in the 60s, right? So you rode your bike everywhere, you walked, you played until it got dark. You, you know, it's just, it's the kind of life you, you hear about if you didn't live it. Going into my eighth year, going into the eighth grade, we packed up and moved from Columbia out to a lake community, Chapin, South Carolina, about 45 minutes outside of Columbia. And that started a whole new chapter for me. It was like a physical metamorphosis, mental. It was a chance for me and my sister. There were three of us at home by then to almost kind of reinvent ourselves because we'd grown up in one place. We went to a new place. God, there are just so many stories in this, Nathan, but went to Chapin High School and everything's just trucking along. Life was good. 
And again, think about the time I grew up in. So I remember racial integration. I remember it was just, it was different. And I, I will tell you just very briefly, I have thought so much about that this year with everything going on. That could be a whole separate podcast about the kind of emotional baggage you carry around from things like that. Um, so in high school, trucking along, everything's fine until my junior year and then my parents divorced. So they had been married 26 years. I love my family. I love my parents. You know, kids don't know what kids don't know. You think things are fine and then one day they're not and you start getting old enough to kind of look at things differently and hear things differently and you start to see where the underbelly was and what happened. And so from that point on, literally, I just lived in self-survival mode. Had to help my mom through some things. It wasn't easy for her. I had to help my dad through some things. It wasn't easy for him. Had my younger brother at home. So by then it was just me and Tommy. And we moved from Chapin to an apartment back closer to Columbia. So my junior year in high school was my last year at Chapin. And I was commuting back and forth that year and was starting not to care about a lot of things. And so that just started this really interesting chapter because my senior year in high school, it was me, mom, Tommy, um, I had already been working part-time every summer, helping to contribute financially however I could and to just have my own money and do what I needed to do. It wasn't going to happen any other way. Didn't have a car. So as soon as I was old enough to drive, I did most of the driving for my mom. So my senior year in high school, I needed one English credit to graduate. So I went to this large high school near the apartment where we lived. I didn't know a soul, didn't care about anybody or anything. I just knew I needed that one credit. So I worked full time at Merrill Lynch that year. So I got a job and so I would take Tommy to school. I would either go to my English class or more days than I'd like to admit, I went to Mr. Donut and drank coffee and talked to truck drivers. And then I'd go back and pick mom up. We would drive downtown she would drop me off at Merrill Lynch. She would go to work. And so that started that chapter of my life. And thank God, literally, because when I look back on all this, it's amazing how I survived in spite of myself. And you just see the divine intervention. You just see where I was saved from things so many times. But I worked for an amazing woman at Merrill Lynch. And so, and I know my mom's going to hear this. She'll understand this. She won't mind me saying this. But she was in survival mode too. So I would go my way. She'd go her way. She'd go to work. I'd go to work. Life was a mess. So Ann Paulus, my boss at Merrill Lynch, became my work mother, and she whipped me into shape. And if I went to work feeling bad because I'd stayed up too late the night before, she could care less. I'll never forget the day she walked by and said, if you don't stop popping that gum, I'm going to fire you. I mean, she just like gave me those simple life lessons to learn how to behave and work in an office. So I jokingly tell this story, but I'm so old now that I don't care. I think it's kind of funny. But Nathan, I tell people, I'm pretty sure I graduated from high school. I didn't go through a commencement. I didn't go pick up my diploma. I certainly didn't go to a prom. I didn't do any of that. I was in the world. So I worked the second year at Merrill Lynch. Somewhere in that process, I met my first husband. That's a whole story too. And he, you know, he's not going to hear this. My sister will, but he had money in his pocket and a car. I didn't have either one. So that started a chain of interesting personal decisions. So 
I moved out of the apartment with my mom and moved in with him and just kept working, working, working. So I tell people I've worked as long as I was old enough to drive a car. And my, I added them up this morning before talking to you. I've had 23 jobs. <laughs> so some were three months, six months, three years, four years. My record is brand talkers, nine years in my own company. But it just started this whole chain of events. And so when I left South Carolina, and of course, college was not an option. It was never discussed in my home. I learned later that was a financial thing. It was never going to happen. So why talk about it? And it, we were four girls. And again, think about the culture. Think about the era of time. Didn't know my parents were strapped as they were. So college just wasn't a conversation. And then when our world imploded, it certainly wasn't a conversation. So I left South Carolina when I was 23. And by then I had been in two supervisory roles inside different companies, both manufacturing companies. They're hilarious stories to even picture me in a fishing tackle company or a, a, a crafts company. Anyway, went to Louisville, Kentucky with husband number one in my rearview mirror. And that was really my getaway. It was my getaway from that chapter of my life from that string of interesting decisions. There's some drama around all that. I just wanted, I wanted a clean start. So John, my boyfriend at the time who became my second husband had gone to Louisville. I went with him. So I'll just tell you this part and then I'll move on. I laugh about my getaway car. Nathan, I had a Honda Civic that was probably not as big as the kitchen table I have in my home. I bought it from an engineer at Shakespeare Fishing Tackle for $400. I paid his wife $50 a week because he had moved back to Hong Kong and he was selling his car. So I drove from Columbia to Louisville, Kentucky. I couldn't go over 50 miles an hour without my car shaking violently, <laughs> but I had my clothes and my guitar and a fresh start. So let's talk about that fresh start. The idea of a fresh start. Now, I look at your life and you're on one path and then you get hit with this new reality that the relationships that you had counted on were not okay. And you saw that not only were you not okay, the people that you were around were not okay. And so you did what you would imagine a teenager would do. You become untethered a bit. Maybe you don't have the emotional energy to try to deal with what other kids are dealing with in this as a senior in high school. And then you find a path that gives you some opportunities. The relationships that you engage in are not working. And now you find yourself in a Honda at 23 years of age, driving down the road, beginning a new life. And with 23 jobs that uh, are part of your resume, new starts seem to be something that has been a part of your story of not of, of having the courage to, to look at a situation and say, uh, this isn't the one and to keep moving forward. So to take us on that trip, you're in the Honda, keep going. So I went to Louisville and again, I, I didn't have a career path. I just had a work ethic. I told a group of young advertising an ad agency team last year, I was talking to them and just, you know, encouraging them to find whatever. But in the, in the, course of all that, I said, I look back and realize that my skill set from as far back as I can remember is I showed up. 
And I would, I would do anything anybody asked me to do because it's the only way I learned anything. So I went to Louisville, still had no career path, but I knew I could get a job and I knew I could work. And I had clerical skills by then. So, so let me follow a path here. You used the, the, the term of uh, I could learn anything. I'm a learner. It was the only way to learn something. At what point in your life did you realize that you were a learner? I can't tell you the job or the year, but by that point I knew that. I knew that I could do, it's like, you just give me a chance to work, I'll work. So you have a boss who steps in that says, I'm going to teach you how to live, not just work at Merrill Lynch. And and then you you start looking at your life situation. Now you're in this environment and, and you find that the way to learn is through experiences. So keep going. And lots of questions. You know, I'm the nosiest person you'll ever meet, right? So I don't know if it's nosy or curious, but I always want to know why and what and how. And so I was placed by a temp firm inside a television station as a sales assistant. It was the NBC affiliate in Louisville. I had never stepped inside a media outlet. So it was so sexy. It was so fun. Here are these sharp dress, successful salespeople. I'm typing their little proposals and just drinking all the Kool-Aid and having a great time. That's where John and I got married. We were only there a total of eight months, and then John got transferred to Kansas City. So that it, it started an interesting um, trend or pattern for me. That general sales manager picked up the phone, called a friend in Kansas City, and said, our sales assistant is moving. You should give her a job. So he's, that guy said, well, at this TV station, we don't have an opening, but our radio station downstairs does. So I rolled into Kansas City and took the job as a sales assistant in a radio station. We were there literally three months and John got transferred to Dallas. So that general sales manager picked up his phone, called a radio station in Dallas and said, our sales assistant is moving. You should hire her. That happened. But when you look back between August of 1982 and August of 1983, I went from Columbia to Louisville to Kansas City to Dallas. So John and I ended up in Dallas in that late summer of 83. So I didn't know it, but that put me on a media career path. So so if I'm looking at your life and and for those who are listening in who are um, contemplating their own future, there's there's not a, a clear path, but there are clear themes. So often people will say to me, I, I don't really know what my purpose is. I don't know what I should be doing. Um, I don't know what my future should look like. And I really try to get them away from the idea of looking at a specific destination, but to look for themes. So if I'm picking up on these themes, one is you are a helper. You are looking at where your mom is and you um, are not judging her for the situation that she's in, but you recognize that she's in a situation. The same with your dad then you find yourself moving into these new environments and quickly building relationships where people feel like you are worth the investment, that they'll tell you the thing, they'll guide you. And then for people to pick up the phone and and call somebody else and say, no, seriously, you need to hire them. That's not normal. That is a signal that this uh, type of relationship building that you had already begun to, to, to pursue that people felt that this was, that you were someone who had a future. So at that point, did you feel like you had a future? Mm, Again, this is so crazy to admit this. I still couldn't really see it. I just knew that I was loving the work 
and I was married and I was happy. And, you know, we had our, our first and only child. That's where Marshall was born and raised in Dallas. Where it got interesting is that that radio job. Okay, I just got to tell this story because all the, all the connections are just the funny part of this. So the three months in Kansas City, they were going through an ownership change. So Meredith Publishing was selling to Fairbanks Broadcasting. This entourage from Fairbanks walks in. We meet them all one day. There's a gentleman named Jim Hilliard who was running the show. I shook his hand. I met him. I left Kansas City, came to Dallas. Well, Fairbanks owned the station in Dallas, and they were selling it to John Blair and Company. So I'm sitting there in a cubicle as a sales assistant. Mr. Hilliard walks by, does a double take, comes back and says, do I know you? You look really familiar. And I'm like, okay, well, this is really crazy, but we just met in Kansas City. Shook hands, life went on. A few months later, I got bored in that job, as crazy as that sounds. I took a, a secretarial job with a big eight accounting firm, get a call from the general manager of the radio station. He's like, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, Jim's going to be setting up a corporate satellite office in Dallas. He don't want to live in New York City with this new company. He needs an executive assistant. He doesn't like anybody we've introduced him to. I need you to come interview with him. I'm like, no, I've had like 100 jobs this year. It's like, I'm, this is a fun job. I'm good. He's like, no, I really just need you to come do this for me. So I sit in his office. I wait for Mr. Hilliard to come in. He walks in and his first words in a very kind voice said, yeah, not you. I'm like, why not me? He's like, you're too young. I said, what does that mean? He's like, you're too young for this job. I need somebody with more experience, you know, because he had come from an office where he had a lifetime, you know, assistant. And I remember in so many words saying to him, you have no idea how old I am right here. And I've lived a lot of lives already. So don't judge me by my age or what you think you see. Well, long story short, he hired me. And I tell people working for him was the equivalent of my college education. He was the first self-made wealthy person I'd ever met. Everything he did was big. Every deal he did was big. Every relationship he had was big. Once I broke through that trust circle with him, oh my God, it was just an amazing four-year run. And I learned just basic, basic things about finance. I remember one time he's given me this long list of call Hal at the bank and it's about this bear bond and this CD and this T-bill and this whatever. I called the banker as soon as Jim left town and said, I have no idea what he just said. I need your help. <laughs> that banker took me to lunch in the dining room, treated me like the queen of Sheba. Three hours I take notes and I write down definitions of just basic financial terms. So that's how I've learned. Now, now, again, I, I want to point this out for, for people who are listening in. Um, what she's describing here is, is something that, again, epitomizes the growth mindset. There is a language, a vocabulary that I don't yet know, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to ask for help. And then when I ask for help, I'm willing to do the work. I'm, if you heard it a second ago, she's taking pages of notes, providing the definitions for herself so that she can learn and I'm telling you this because this is not one of those things that was a matter of desperation for her alone. That may have been part of it. But even now, even this morning when, when Dot and I talked a little bit before the podcast, every time I'm talking to Dot, there is a new thing that she wants to share that she has learned or have been, has been thinking about. 
And, and I want to point out why this is so important for leaders. And it's so valuable as a leader to not put yourself in a spot where you can't raise your hand and say, I don't know how that works. So imagine a growth mindset leader who might be the CEO even of a large company who has the freedom to say, hey, I don't really understand that concept. Could you help me understand it better? Could, could you give me some insights on this? And so I want to point this out of one of the reasons why Dot has not plateaued in her life, even though she's had a series of ups, downs, setbacks, all the things that leaders normally have. The reason that that theme continues and she doesn't plateau is because she is not afraid of asking the question and she's a great listener. She's a learner. So here we find ourselves that you have this four year, ironically a four year education that you are walking out of that with probably a, a lot more than the typical college student because you have sought out uh, what you need to know to be able to succeed. So, so keep going. Well, thank you for all that. And I'll just insert this really quick because I know this is about leadership, right? So the thing that Jim Hilliard started in my life, and maybe I didn't recognize it in those early bosses because they were just teaching me to not be an idiot, right? <laughs> Jim Hilliard and every great boss I had after him, and I've been blessed with three or four that I could talk about all day, they believed in me. And they would say, figure it out. Or I would say, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you'll figure it out. I don't know what that means. Oh, you'll figure it out. And then he'd leave town for a month and I would just figure it out. And so I eventually started to understand I can figure things out. So that was so empowering to me and that set that part of my path. Well, it's fascinating to me talking to leaders who are willing to be unguarded that the reality is they didn't know either. And everybody is doing their best to figure it out as they go. But there is this dream that somehow leaders know that they already have this figured out. And then it's, this is all part of a strategic plan, et cetera, et cetera. And the reality is that's likely more of a description for a great manager. The leaders are the ones that they not only are not sure of the answer yet, they're not even sure of the question. And I say that because what Dot is describing is something that a lot of leaders, when they are finally to a point in life when they can put their guard down, when they talk about that openly with other leaders, they all find themselves often laughing of, oh, we had no idea what we were doing. And I say that because if you are not moving forward because you don't have all the answers, then uh, in that moment, you're not, you're not acting, in my opinion, uh, like the, the type of leader who's going to uh, make a difference by uh, changing the course of someone's life or their own life. Keep going. So when that radio station sold and Jim and his wife were going to go live in another home in another state for a while, I had to get another job and I knew I couldn't stay in admin. I was spoiled rotten. I thought I was making good money at the time. And so that's when I made the leap over into radio sales. And he picked up his phone and he called a friend. And so I walked into a, a you know highly rated station in Dallas, a local sales job. And Nathan, it was the classic, there's your cubicle, there's your phone, figure it out. And I ended up having a great female boss again. She was my third female boss and I just loved her she was fiery. She just took no, you know, she was just like, get it done. And I remember 
you know, when you sit there and you don't know what you're doing, you, whatever. So she came by one day and she said, you are so overthinking all of this. She's like, let me tell you something. And this is a pivotal like moment in time for me career-wise. Logic sells. Dot, go make it make sense. Just go make it make sense. But it can only make sense if you know what they're trying to do and you know what we do. So go bridge those two things together and you'll sell something. It was like, just go make it make sense. You're making this too hard. And I took her at her word and I just started having comfortable conversations with people. I, I quit letting it scare me so bad. And I probably went way off the deep end learning about my handful of clients. I was reading books about them. I was sitting in a cafeteria in a hospital, like talking to nurses and people who were eating because I was just trying to figure out what they did for a living. But that one client became my first meaningful direct sale. I ended up winning radio station rep of the year for Gannett in Dallas that year because of that one client. It won a creative award. It was amazing. So that started a radio sales path. So fast forward through three radio sales jobs in Dallas. It got to the early 90s by then. I had done local sales, national sales, promotion, ended up at a Cox radio station in Dallas, met the next amazing boss in my life, a guy named Greg Lindahl. I'm going to see him in a couple weeks. I adore him. I've worked for him three different times now. Greg was an amazing leader. Greg was this young guy that Cox had sent into Dallas to take a station, reformat it, rebuild it as a business. And Nathan, I was sitting in a sales cubicle and Greg called me into his office one day and said, I don't think you're in the right job because he could see that I wasn't flourishing in that job. I'll, I'll put it nicely. And he said, I see your background in admin work. So I'd like you to come work for me because we're going to have a lean, mean staff here. We are, we're going to clean this thing out. I need a utility player. I need somebody that can help me, but I need somebody that has your promotions experience, your national sales experience. I'm going to, you know, basically build a hybrid job for me. But he wanted to pay an admin salary and I'm like, yeah, I'll need more than that. So we negotiated my compensation and I don't know if he'll remember it this way. I'll have to ask him. But I feel like I remember saying to him, here's what I need to make. I was a single mom by then. So I was divorced for the second time by then. I need to make this. If we get to the end of the first year and you don't think you've underpaid me, I'll either quit this job or we'll find some other answer. So he paid me. It was awesome. It started a three-year relationship there. And that's where I finally figured out what I was meant to do. Because by sitting in that desk and getting this having this holistic view of the radio station, being able to tap into all these different things I had figured out about myself by then. And because he ran the station, I heard and saw everything. So I would hear this person say this or that person say that. And I would just step in and go, well, I heard somebody talking about that the other day. And why don't you call this guy? And all of a sudden I was helping make revenue happen, but I was the general manager's assistant. So I found that I could start impacting revenue through connections and intel. I'm like the squirrel hoarding nuts all the time. It's like, I just want to hear what people have to say. 
and I could talk about all those stories. I mean, that anyway, that set that path. Then Cox sold that radio station. I was done with radio by then. It was a time when all the mergers collapses, everything was starting to happen. The fun was leaving the, the industry. I ended up at the Dallas Morning News that next year. It started a newspaper path for me. They hired me to come create a sales promotion department for them because their only hiring criteria was they wanted somebody with radio promotions experience. They didn't really even know what sales promotion meant, but they just knew they needed to be in the game. That was a pivotal point for me because I think this is a true statement. I think I was the first person ever hired into this 100-year-old company with a manager title without a college education. Hmm. I finally started to understand that my skill set mattered. So that introduced me to the next boss who had tremendous influence in my life, who's still a great friend. I worked for him three times too. (laughs) He was my path to Oklahoma. I can tell that story. Anyway, I stayed at the morning news for five and a half years, was promoted a handful of times, ended up one of five ad directors there. Uh, They had collapsed everything under sales promotion that could sell anything the company had. That was an amazing run. There's a whole chapter in that story about how my life changed literally when I went through a sales training program that finally put framework around my house. It's like I had been living in a house and didn't know what, you know. So, so again, um, pulling out from that some of the, the leadership pieces, one is that these moments where you have a, a start and a stop, that you, you talked about it being a good run, that it was not that because this ended, that was a failure. It was, that was the end of the run. Now, now what? And so this, what, uh, what's next mentality uh, allows you to, to, to pivot. So, uh, and you even talk about that quite a bit when you talk about these pivotal moments and that you, you continue to pivot from one thing to the other. But if you, if you're listening in, what, what you're seeing are two things happening. One is how leaders communicate through stories. Two, what you're, you're also seeing is that each situation is something from which I can learn. I could gain uh, something here. And so in, in this moment, you're finding having the infrastructure around your instincts at that next level allows you to be more productive. And, and so you're finding these themes. And I'm saying that to people who think that the, the, the job loss is the equivalent of a failure in their life or the, the transition from one thing to the next is because you did it wrong when in reality, it doesn't have to be thought of that way. And so uh, now you're, you're in Dallas uh, to get you to, to Oklahoma City, because I, I want to get us to some of the things that you're doing now, but I also don't want to rush through the reality. <laughs> and the reality is you might find that the first 22 jobs are preparing you for the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And so um, let's keep going. Yeah, that totally prepared me. So I left the Dallas Morning News and I jumped the fence and went to work for the sales training company that had come in and changed my life. And so I ended up traveling the country as a sales trainer and consultant, working with other media sales organizations, which very much broadened my purview, just helped me, my my bigger perspective. And what I understood all of a sudden is that the issues and the opportunities inside the Dallas Morning News were the same in any media company in America. Salespeople were having to learn how to sell horizontally instead of vertically. 
the internet had disrupted everybody's world. People were just having to think different, learn different. So, so much of that sales training was what I love so much about your world. It was about that mental mindset and having to let go of the way things had always been done and embrace a new, still to be understood world. So I did that for a couple of years. And then this is where, this is where it all just started coming together. So when 9-11 happened, Nathan, I was supposed to be on an airplane that day, flying to Detroit to go teach a class in Pontiac, Michigan. I ended up staying in Dallas that day. I was at the Dallas Morning News because they had become my client. I had just flipped the relationship. So now I was doing the training at the Morning News. I saw the towers fall on a TV monitor in the room that we were in. I immediately dropped everything. I went and got Marshall out of school. He was a freshman in high school that year. We went home. I cried all week. I saw my life flash before my eyes. And when you go all the way back to my origin story, and I said I grew up in a Presbyterian home, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old. I had this really awesome faith walk until that end of my high school run when my life fell apart. And I just started making bad choices, bad decisions. I had this ebb and flow in my faith life, and it kind of just went radio silent for a really long time through three marriages, all these jobs, my priorities were out of whack. I cared about the wrong things. I was, I was a good mother, but I could have been a better mother. And all of a sudden it's like, I got right with God. That was my week. So when I went to church with Marshall that following Sunday and they like did the altar call, I'm the first one down. And I wish I remembered my exact prayer, but my prayer that day was I want back in the game. I don't even know what it means anymore. My talents are different. My life is dramatically different. I will put on my listening ears. I will try, I will try to hear it and feel it, but I don't know what to do, but I want back in. And just that, that peace, that, okay, I let it go. I put myself out there. And Nathan, from that point on, what has happened in my life has been nothing short of a series of miracles. So I got out of what had ended up an extremely toxic job. In early 2002, I was unraveling out of the job. I was trying to figure some things out. And my Dallas Morning News boss, Sergio Salinas, had just been recruited to the Oklahoman, the paper in Oklahoma City, as their ad director. I wanted him to hire me as a consultant. I didn't even know what that meant. He knew if he waited me out, I would need a job. So <laughs> he's a smart guy. So like, well, he hired, I told him, it's like, all I know about Oklahoma is it's north of Texas. He's like, come on, just like seriously get in your car, I-35 North, exit Britain Road, that's our building, that's all you need to know. So I came to Oklahoma City, and what I figured out and, and understood pretty quickly is that that's where God sent me. Because when you think about Dallas-Fort Worth and you think about the rat race and the pressures and the expectations, and you, you go from there to Oklahoma City, and I'm working for the Gaylord family and one of the few papers in the country that publishes a prayer on its front page, and there are Bibles on every other desk, and there is a work-life balance I had never seen. There was a, a faith drives everything, faith, family, community. Of course, football's in there somewhere. People like 
told me, go home, you're working too hard. Uh, it's like, whatever. And so it just like rebalanced me. So I had three years at the Oklahoman as the marketing manager and got to meet all these awesome people in Oklahoma City because from that marketing vantage point, we were supporting it felt like every nonprofit, but I got to hear all these great stories, meet all these great leaders, these amazing people, got to work for a great family. And that was like an incredible chapter. So then I went to Atlanta for a couple of years, worked for Greg again. That was my third time working for him and came. And so I traveled the country again. I was a road warrior in that job and I was helping Cox Radio help their salespeople in 70 something radio stations across the country. So I literally traveled from Connecticut, Long Island to South Florida, to Birmingham, to Tulsa, out to Honolulu. So I was traveling to 17 radio clusters, helping radio salespeople get their head around the value of a digital audience. Um, so did that. And it, I knew it wasn't my last job, but I thought I'm going to put my head down and learn everything I can about the space. And at the end of that two and a half years, you know, Greg and I, were, we were good friends by then too. So we had very open conversations about that not being my last job. So then I came back to Oklahoma in 2008 because David Griffin and I had stayed in touch at Griffin Communications. He needed to build a new division within Griffin to manage their first large statewide advertising contract that they had just landed and he said, if you want to come back, this project can fund you. And I'm like, game on. So I came back, created Griffin Marketing Solutions, got promoted to statewide VP of marketing a year into that, three and a half years in. That's when, with David's help, I stepped out and created Brand Talkers. So uh, with our last few minutes, you're, we're, we're seeing again the idea that these pivots in life, that there can be amazing changes that can happen that impact uh, decades of your life if you're open to it. And, and I say this because uh, I'm one of those people who believes that your entire life can be changed in a single conversation at the right time. And so you, you find yourself uh, after 9-11 looking at your life and saying, this is not what I had hoped for. This is not what I uh, had signed up for. And, and you uh, change course. And, and so now you're in Oklahoma City having returned back. And, and this is now we're, we're getting close to uh, the present time. You are uh, strengthening relationships. You have found your purpose in connecting people and connecting ideas. And so take us uh, from here in our uh, last few minutes on uh, what that has meant over the um, since starting Brand Talkers and some of the highlights of uh, what you found as an entrepreneur? So it was a classic leap of faith. And when I went to David, I said, you know, I'm going to need your help to exit this company. And he was awesome. So I was able to launch Brand Talkers on a wing and a prayer. And the prayer was answered the day I was walking out the door at Griffin. And the Chevy dealer group client that I was working with managed other dealer groups in the South Central region. She had taken the local branded music content program that we built for her in Oklahoma City, and we started offering that to her other dealer groups. And that's what launched Brand Talker, Chevy Music Showcase. And then I, through another relationship, 
uh, was able to go help the Oklahoma City Convention and Visitors Bureau build a marketing sponsorship model inside their marketing department. That was a few years. So it's funny that in my career path, the the average, you know, solid experience was about three years. Brand Talkers is no different. So that CVB assignment was a three-year assignment. Uh, Chevy Music Showcase ran through 2015. In 2013, David Griffin called and said, I want you to meet a friend of mine. He and his wife have just started a nonprofit. He could use your help in the uh, marketing development space. Filton Futures was created that year. So I stepped in to work for Liz and Tim McLaughlin and that organization. I've been, I just celebrated seven years inside Filton Futures. So that's, that's a big success for me all by itself. And then just have been very blessed to pick up two or three at a time, really meaningful assignments with companies that I adore, that I just continue to learn from. And it's so awesome now, Nathan, I'll tell the world, I just turned 62 and you can look at the life and I know it's not over. I think I have plenty of runway left. I'm not slowing down anytime soon, but that whole idea of life is a tapestry I just laugh sometimes. I just laugh at the how it all works and how you met that person decades ago and how they continue to influence you. And now you, I have opportunities to help other people. And it's just this circular, beautiful, magical, in my world, miraculous thing. And now when I look at the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 in a year, and I look at that 10-year run, I, obviously, I thank God. And I, I tell that 9-11 story every chance I get because I am convinced that every time I share that story, I get a little pat on the head that says, good girl, you keep sharing that story, and Nathan, something good happens. No question. And... Uh, just for our listeners, it was a 10-year run between 9-11 and, and starting Brand Talkers. And now we have the 10-year run between now and, and the 20-year uh, for 9-11. Mm. So looking at, at all of this and, and having the perspective of someone who has been through all that and can now look back on it and see how it all worked together, you're having that conversation, let's say, uh, with that single mom who uh, is looking at her life and wondering how is this all going to make sense? Uh, the, the, the opportunities seem to be limited. There's just so much in front of them, et cetera. What would you say to someone in that spot right now who is struggling, uh, wondering, you know, is, is there a future? What do I do? What, what would you say to them? It's mm, a good question and a hard question. Just know you can be and do anything you want. You know, and love yourself and have those tough conversations with yourself. Look in the mirror first and understand the things you can control and the things you can't and embrace the things you can and forgive yourself for anything you perceive to be a, a mistake or whatever. And just believe, you know, believe that things happen when they're supposed to, they're meant to be. Don't give up the faith, stay strong, stay curious, lean in. Don't say no to opportunity. Don't overjudge and overthink things. Grab the moment if you see it or you sense it. 
Um, it's okay to quit something later if it's not what you thought it would be. Just go for it. Dot, I appreciate your time today. And uh, <laughs> I know this is a, a busy time of life for you that your your clients need you right now. And I, I know that um, being able to sit down and just talk with you is uh, is a big deal. So thank you. And we're honored to have you on the Strata Leadership Show. If you'd like to learn more about DOT, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Brand Talkers, if you look at uh, brandtalkers.com, you can find the website that connects you with DOT. I will say to you that um, this conversation today truly is the tip of the iceberg. And so if I could go deeper with my conversation with DOT, and I hope that uh, you, you would follow up if you're looking for some help putting together your strategy for marketing and things like that, when I met Dot, it was because Dot had a passion for trying to help people. And she has done that in a way that is just phenomenal to me. And so I think it's somewhat ironic that uh, I'm talking to someone who has literally changed the course of life for thousands of people, but um, would not have started with that. When you look at Oklahoma and Oklahoma City and what's happening in our area and beyond now on the national scale uh, with the Cal Ripken Foundation, with Fields and Futures, with STEM uh, projects, the different things that she's involved in, everywhere she goes, she is trying to change people's lives for the positive. But she's also one of those people that doesn't need to be in the limelight to be able to make a difference. And I really appreciate uh, the time with you today, Dot. Leaders come in all forms. Some are the ones that are on the stage. They need to be in the spotlight because that's the role they have to play. There are others that are behind the scenes that are the quiet leaders. One way or the other, the role of a leader is to see the opportunity to have the courage to step in and to make a difference. So for you today, make make the choice because it is a choice. Make the choice to set the pace, to set the tone, to be the kind of person that other people someday when they're interviewed on a podcast would mention your name because you made a difference in their life. Thank you for being a part of the Strata Leadership Show. We look forward to seeing you next time.